Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. It's awesome to have you in the house this morning. My name is Amy Stubbs. Chris and I are serving to pastor this church together. And I'm just letting you know that God is a gracious God. Um, While I was sitting there getting ready to come up here, I actually thought the last song was the song I was supposed to come up on, so I was standing there holding my stuff, all nervous. And... um, And then we got to sing this song, and then the Lord just kind of undid me and said, I got you. It's okay. It's okay. I've got you. This is your song. And um, isn't he an awesome God? He loves on us and the ways we need to be loved on, and he did that for me this morning. So um, he stretches us. I told him, you can have it all, God. I'll do it all for you, whatever you want of me. And then here I am, and now I have to stand here this morning because I surrendered to him. (laughs) Praise the Lord anyways. (laughs) Um, Today I'm talking about... The second installment of This Is Us. This morning is about, this is Amy, but my story involves multiple people, but this is my story this morning. Um, I am number three of four kids. I have an older brother. He was plenty for the three of us girls. We didn't need any more brother than him. He, um, he had plenty of pestiness for all of us. He is... Um, quite a bit older than me, and yet he, just to kind of give you a little glimpse of what he's like, he told me that he formed my very being. (laughs) He was like, Amy, I made you who you really are. I literally formed formed your very being. (laughs) He did teach me a lot of things, and he did work to form me. But anyways, um, I am number three of four. I was very blessed because I was born into a a God-fearing, loving home, and so I was raised um, to love the Lord. I was raised that um, Jesus is, is why we are created, and what we're supposed to do is to serve and love him, and so I have a deep godly heritage, and I am very blessed for that. Um, my daddy has gone to be with Jesus now. He's no longer around, but that's a more recent picture of the three of us kids, and my oldest sister, um, was not in Maine. That's in Maine where we spend our summers. Um, If we can, we try to get to Maine. My dad has a family home there. That's where Ian is um, helping my mom take care of the house because dad's not there anymore. So she has grandkids that come and help her. But anyways, um, I was blessed because the Lord allowed me to be in a family. You know, growing up, you're just in the family you're in and you don't really realize how blessed you are or where you are. And um, I remember my friends, you know, they had a lot of freedom and I felt like I didn't have a lot of freedom and I wasn't always sure that I was in the best spot but I figured out pretty quickly that um, the Lord chose a very special spot for me to be because he found gave me parents who loved me and taught me to um, love Jesus love the world and love everybody around me and my life was created to serve other people and so at church I learned very early on my dad was a board member I think all of my life um, he served the church very faithfully. He, was, he worked extremely hard and was gone a lot of hours. 
Um, he was gone when I got up in the morning, and he was not home until usually after seven or so. Uh, we waited dinner late for him most nights. And on Wednesday night, he met us at church. He was never not there. I knew he was a hard worker, but I knew that church was the most important thing because he always made it. Always. He didn't make it to all my basketball games, but he never missed church. And so he taught by his example, and my mother the same, that, you know, you have to teach that. It's not automatically known. What is your priority is known by your kids because it's what you spend your time doing. I watched my dad and my mom get up and love Jesus in the morning and do their devotion time. I watched them serve with all of their hearts in church, not because they were paid to do it, but because they love Jesus and wanted to serve him. And that's how I was taught. That's what I learned. Um, and because of that, when I was in youth group in high school, um, probably this choice would have been made for me, but my parents were smart enough to let me think at least I was making this choice. <laughs> but when I was in youth group, I, they started, they always did basketball. I love playing sports. I was a complete tomboy. Um, I like to dress up on Sundays. I also didn't have a choice in that, so it's good that I wanted to dress up on Sundays because if I went to church on a Wednesday, if I, on the way to church on Wednesday night, I told the ladies this, but this was back in the day where if you love Jesus, you had to wear a skirt. So going to youth group, which did not matter, by the way. My mom didn't know this, but it didn't matter if I had a skirt on if I went to youth group. But I would leave basketball practice, and in the minivan on the way to church, I pulled on pantyhose over my sweaty legs and put a skirt on my gross, dirty body to go to youth group. And I love Jesus because I had on my skirt and I was in youth group. Praise the Lord. But I learned that it was worth the sacrifice to put Jesus first. So I was a junior, and they switched basketball to Wednesday nights. It used to be Tuesday, Thursday. And my coach told me I couldn't play if I wasn't going to miss church on Wednesday night. I had to make a choice. So I chose to play JV my junior year, which was very humbling because I was already on varsity and went back down to JV so that I could play my game and then leave for church because they played first and varsity played second. Um, but the Lord rewarded me for that. He let me know that he figured out that I had prioritized that. That's where I learned that I had to make that choice for myself. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure my parents would have probably helped me make that choice differently if I would have done that. But when I was nine years old, um, one of the significant things that happened in my life, when I look back, by the way, it's really difficult to narrow down to like just a few moments in my life that I want to share with you this morning. But when I was nine, I, I was crippled with fear. I don't know how to describe it any differently than the fact that it was an irrational, fear is irrational, but it was irrational kind of fear that kept me from doing normal activities because I was so stressed out as a young child. I want to encourage those of you who have a child who is very full of fear. We had one. His name is Ian Stubbs. And the Lord has helped him very greatly, praise the Lord, to also get past those things. But I was terrified of anything, you name it. Um, I was terrified of storms. I was terrified of being kidnapped. I was terrified of the Russians because that was during the Cold War. And every plane that came over, I was sure was going to shoot us all down. There were so many things that I was um, being gripped and held by. And so the reason why fear mattered is because I, I couldn't really live and enjoy life. But it also mattered because the Lord knew what he had for me in the future. So God is so gracious because he cares about what's going on with us right now. But he also cares about what he has for us in the future. And so he wants to take care of us right now because he knows what he's walking you into. And so the Lord had to take care of my fear problem 
And he was so gracious to do that when I was nine. I remember very clearly going up and getting prayed for. I was tired of being terrified all the time. And the Lord, the, my parents explained to me that I could pray and that the Lord could touch me. And they, we read verses about fear. We read the verse in Isaiah 41, 10 and 13. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. I learned to literally take that verse very, very personally. And when I was scared, I would call on the Lord and I would ask him to take my right hand and to walk with me. And my parents taught me that that I could do that. And as I did that, he took the fear from me. But I prayed that night and the Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit and I was a completely changed person. I didn't realize because I wasn't a parent at the time that that was the most wonderful gift the Lord could have ever given my parents. Because dealing with a child who's fearful is also extremely difficult because you cannot explain to them how they don't need to be scared of this thing because it doesn't make sense to them. But I figured that out later as I walked with that myself. The Lord knew I needed to let go of fear because he knew one day he was going to call me into something beyond myself that I couldn't walk in fear for. It was important for my future and it was important to be able to walk in my daily life. So that became part of my life. If I was scared of something, I would call on the Lord and ask him to walk with me. And he did. And I never expected that he wouldn't, and he always was faithful to do that. Um, The next significant thing I want to talk about was when I was a um, junior in high school. I went to a, uh, we lived in a very small little suburb town, and it was uh, very much a college prep. Everyone's going to some sort of Ivy League kind of school. And so everyone was talking from the grade, in grade nine what they were doing. They were very focused. They knew exactly what law degree they were going for and how they were going to get it and what they were doing. And I was still waiting on the Lord to tell me what I was going to do. And so when people would ask me, Amy, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not sure yet. I'm still waiting for the Lord to tell me. <laughs> Anyways, it was getting humiliating. So I was like, Lord, please help me. Know this, so at camp, I was at youth camp. We just had our kids go to youth camp recently. This is one of the reasons why I'm very, very um, interested in youth kids going to camp because it's a time that they're very, they're separated from everything else, zeroed in on the Lord. And in that time, the Lord called me to be a missionary. He showed me a picture that was very clear of myself underneath an acacia tree, which are those flat top African trees. I had a bunch of little children around me and he said, Africa, go to Africa. I didn't know where, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to Africa. So I knew what I was going to say. Anytime anyone asked me, in fact, in my yearbook, it says, Uh, where are you going to go? Where will we see you in 10 years? Amy Stubbs. And I said, Africa. I didn't know where. I just said Africa. (laughs) Everyone thought I was crazy. No problem. But I had focus. So from that point on, I knew I was going to Bible college. And I just prayed, asked the Lord where I was going to go. He provided a scholarship for me to North Central Bible College. And so I went to North Central Bible College, which is where I met my very wonderful husband. So there we are. Aren't we cute? That was when we got engaged. We were actually on an extended family vacation. All of My mom is one of nine children, and all of them have at least four children, except for, well, one of them doesn't have four children. One has three. Anyways, there are a lot of people, and all of us rented several big homes in Nags Head, North Carolina, and Chris, the first time he met this big, huge extended family, <laughs> the very first night of our vacation, asked me to be his wife, and I said, yes. But when I met Chris, we met actually our freshman year. 
both of us, this is very surprising for me. Not as This is not surprising for me, very surprising for him. He was late to class, and I was slipping in right at the end. And this class, you had to um, sign a sheet of paper, and then you were stuck in the seat where you were for the rest of the semester. Now, we didn't know this, but this was the first class of the day, early in the morning. So I came flying into Bible study methods and sat down in the second row, which was the first row because no one sat in the first row next to Chris, and there was another girl on the other side of him. Her name was Laurel. We did have to kind of battle it out a little bit for his attention, but it's fine. I went out in the end, totally fine. So we were stuck there. We signed our little sheet. We sat next to each other the whole semester. That's where I got to know him, talked to him. He was a cool guy. I wanted to get to know him. By the way, I'm not sure why he always acts like he got like this amazing thing and I got the raw end of the deal. I, I did choose God's best for me, and I'm very thrilled that I chose him. It makes me annoyed when he acts like this was this big compromise for me, but I chose him because he was God's best for me, and I fought for him, actually. So anyways, um, he did back into our first date. He wasn't lying. He said I was very intimidating, so whatever. It was my first. Well, actually, let me just tell him. I did on the first, at the, the same um, weekend that we went to open dorms together, I was waiting out front of the girls' dorm, which by the way was the place, like if you're going to meet somewhere, you meet in front of Miller Hall, it was like the place to meet. So there are a lot of people congregating out front, but there was a guy that I had been friends with, we were just friends, he offered to take me on a motorcycle ride, I was like, sure. So I was waiting out front for him to come and pick me up. Meanwhile, Chris came and sat down next to me on the curb and was just chilling, talking to me. And he was like, hey, do you want to kiss? And I was like, what? <laughs> I wasn't sure how to respond. And then he gave me a Hershey's kiss, which was so cool, wasn't that? Still have it to this day. So when he gave me that, I was like, hmm, I'm not going to eat this. I might want this one day. So anyways, I kind of knew he was going to be special. Then we talked for a little bit, and then Mike Smith drove up and picked me up on his motorcycle, and I was out of there. Playing a little hard to get, no problem. <laughs> anyways, so um, we dated for a while, and I knew I was called to be a missionary. I had gone out with another guy a little bit. But I knew he wasn't called into ministry, so I quickly was like, not interested. I knew I was very focused that I was going into full-time ministry. I was going to be a missionary. Chris um, was not planning to be a missionary, <laughs> so that was a little confusing to me. I'm like, okay, Lord, uh, I really feel like this is the guy for me, but I also know that I'm supposed to be a missionary, so you have to lead me and separate my emotions from what you have for me for the future. And the Lord really clearly spoke to me and said, trust me and let me do the rest. And I just wanna encourage those of you who are um, in a situation where you're praying for something where you and your spouse don't agree on, rather than continuing to ask them a lot about it, just pray about it. Just pray that the Lord works on them and you, because sometimes the Lord changes you, and sometimes the Lord changes them, and sometimes he changes the situation. So I just prayed about it, and I trusted the Lord, and I just allowed him to do the work on Chris, because I knew I was supposed to be with him, which meant I was doing whatever he was called to do in the time that he was called to do that. And so we went into youth ministry together, and we had very meaningful ministry. I absolutely loved our ministry that we did together. We went um, and were youth pastors in Cleveland, Ohio, which was my home church for a while, which I absolutely loved, and it was a privilege that I was able to have my first child uh, where my mom was around. It was such an awesome thing. And then we moved to Bedford, Indiana. 
and my heart fell in love with Bedford. I absolutely loved being in a small town. We were city folk. We had no idea what it was like to be in a small town. <laughs> and um, it was such an awesome thing. We loved it with all of our hearts. And the Lord used this place um, to teach me, to teach me for now, and again, like I said, to teach me for the future. He taught me how to love, to disciple, to teach, to mentor, to walk with people, specifically students. This is a scrapbook from one of our students who so kindly sent it to me last night because we do not have any pictures of that time because they are in a box still at my mom's house because those are on real pictures. They are not on, we don't have those on Facebook or anything digital, so the only way to get pictures is to get real ones from people. So if you were able to see that closely, there are images from everything you can imagine that we did together, but we did amazing, wonderful things with young people here. We went to Florida, we went on multiple mission trips, we um, did lots of outreaches, we did tons of things here, we discipled, taught, mentored, and did outreach with students. And um, I learned that it was my choice to be satisfied where the Lord had me. I could have gotten frustrated because I knew the Lord called me to Africa, or I could enjoy the ministry and the place where he had me, and I chose to serve him and to love him and to enjoy the place where he had me, and I absolutely loved it here. The Lord um, brought me through a process of learning the importance of hospitality. He taught me that that was a gifting of mine, was um, hospitality. I love to have people in my home. I love to cook for them. I love to do something that can make people feel special and that they are unique and different. And I love to make people feel good about themselves. And the Lord taught me how important that was to do. And so that was all really important things that I needed to learn before I went to Africa. And then the Lord so graciously called Chris into missions, actually at our first church during a missions convention. And then later while we were in Bedford, he started stirring us and then he told us, now is the time to go. And it's so interesting because I was so anxious to go when I was a 16-year-old girl. And then it became a little bit less interesting when I had three little small babies that I was saying, okay, Lord, now I'm ready to go with you. So when he told me it was time to go, it was a little bit harder to say yes the second time because I didn't imagine myself dragging little kids across the world with me when he gave me that first um, picture and yet, he was so gracious because we did follow him, and he many, 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 many times made it clear to us that this is what we're supposed to do, and so he brought us to South Africa. It was difficult to leave. You know, I will encourage you that wherever God has you, if you will dig deep and allow your roots to go down very deeply, you will love where you have been planted if you allow the Lord to do that. Whether you want to be in Bedford or you don't, whether you want to be in the job where you are or you don't, if you will just dig deep and let the Lord allow you to love where you are, you will love it. It doesn't matter what it is, but if it's what you're called to be doing and God has you there, you will love it. So dig deep. Um, so then we went to South Africa. And I will tell you, this is when my little fearful boy, Ian Stubbs, was in the height of his fear. <laughs> And so when we moved into our house in South Africa, which was, by the way, it is a, such an interesting thing to go on an adventure with the Lord because you have no idea what you're doing and no idea where you're going. And we thought we were going to move into a little teeny tiny little house because we were going to Africa. And we showed up to a mission house that they bought in the 1940s when they, it was really cheap. And we moved into this big, huge house. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do with this big house? 
and I had nothing to put in it. It was kind of an overwhelming task to get it up and going. So my job in the beginning was to settle our home, to find things, to make it comfortable, and to make my kids feel safe. And we get into this thing with the Lord where we think that if we follow him, then surely he will take care of us and nothing bad will ever happen to us. Right? Well, it didn't work out that well for me. I was trying and was really busy trying to convince Ian that we were safe there. As soon as Chris, the first month, we were really busy together. And as Chris started going to the Bible college and working long days, um, and we were at home by ourselves, Benjamin and Grace were going to school, and Ian was with me. He was literally attached to my hip, and I could not leave him anywhere. It's so interesting because he was only four, but he figured out real quickly that because we had bars all over all of our windows, that that meant it wasn't safe. And so the thing that was supposed to make him feel safe was the thing that made him feel unsafe. So I finally got him convinced that um, this is where we were supposed to be. And um, very quickly after that, we went to the Bible college to um, be at the first service that Chris preached at. And when we came back home, someone had broken into our home and ripped the bars off of all things to get inside. And so here, the one thing that I had taught Ian that was going to keep us safe was the thing that they ripped out from underneath us. So I just want to encourage you that the enemy chases you. He does chase you, and he prowls around and looks at the thing that's hard and tough for you, and he targets that spot, and he lets you grow and, and move and, and get deeper and stronger in those things. He doesn't let us stay in those hard spots for long, but he takes us through tough spots to teach us, to change us, to strengthen us, to make us grow closer to him. Poor little Ian pulled through that spot with me, <laughs> and we did. he did learn that it was safe when we were in the Lord and that the Lord walked with us through that. But in the beginning of being in South Africa, it was hard, but I knew we were supposed to, where we were supposed to be because the first service that we went to, which was a little while into, was after this first break-in. We went to uh, our first village church, and um, when we pulled into that spot, it was an interesting drive. We had finally gotten in there. You know, it was our first time to be driving down these dirt, dirty, dusty roads. And there were animals in the road. There were donkeys mating in front of us. We couldn't get them out of the way. And we had to literally sit there and wait for them to be done mating. So that, well, there was lots of things happening. We were learning about we hadn't done before. Remember, we were city folk moving to the village. So it was interesting. So we get past, and we're going to the church. And we get into the church, and they're singing. And I could understand absolutely nothing around me, but the presence of the Lord was so strong, and I just started sobbing. I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. All of the stuff that we had been dealing with, with bed bugs and trying to redo our house and our, the break-ins and disappointment and difficulty and hard stuff all melted away as I was standing in this church. And I was worshiping, and across the way from me, they love to bring you up to the front to honor you. So uh, our whole family was sitting right in the front, and we were turned sideways where everybody was sitting this way so everyone can even see us. And we were facing the window across the way. And as I opened my eyes, I looked outside that window, and right outside that window was this acacia tree. Nope. Oh, it's later. Okay, it's fine, guys. There was this acacia tree there. Anyways, this acacia tree was there. You'll see it later because at the end of the story as well. But... In that moment, when I opened my eyes and I saw that tree, the Lord just whispered in my heart, you did it. You're where you're supposed to be. And I, it just completely undid me. I was like, okay, Lord, all this stuff is worth it. 
I just want to encourage you that if you are where you're supposed to be and you know you're supposed to be there, it doesn't matter what kind of difficulty you come up against. You can do it, and the Lord will take your right hand, and he'll walk you through your fear and through the difficulty and through the trial, and he'll bring you to where he wants you to be. And so that is exactly what he did. And I knew that I was where I was supposed to be in that moment, and there was my tree, and there wasn't a Sunday school class at the time, so underneath that tree was all the little kids having Sunday school. And I was like, oh, Lord, how could you even show me this tree, the exact thing that I would face the very first Sunday that I was standing in a church in South Africa when I was 16 years old. He showed me that very picture. He's an incredible God. He gives us meaningful ministry where we are, and he will be teaching us for what he has in the future. That's what I said a second ago. You know, there were times in South Africa our ministry changed all the time. My ministry, Chris was always doing Bible school stuff, and he was always very busy and gone. And I was able to go and be a partner with him at a lot of times, and other times it was just seasons. You know, sometimes you're a mom with little kids, and your whole life is consumed with being a mom and taking care of little kids, and that's where God's calling you to be. Your first job is to be an awesome wife, and be an awesome mom to your kids, and to take care of your home, and do all those things. And so I was learning to be satisfied that that's where I was supposed to be. So depending on what was going on with our kids, or what was going on, our my ministry changed. Sometimes I was teaching in the classroom um, at the Bible college, and there all day. And then other times, um, I was home being a mom all day, and just serving Jesus still in a different context. Romans 12, 12 to 13 says, let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them, and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. This verse became what I did. This literally is what I feel like God has called me to do and be as a person. So I just want to break down this verse a little bit and talk to you about what my life was while I was in South Africa and then what he's calling me into now. Um, I learned joy no matter what we faced. It was a choice that I had to make. You know, when we left Bedford, it was like ripping every, my insides out. I don't know how to explain it. Um, it was like everything that I loved getting ripped away from me. When your roots go deep, it hurts real bad when you pull them out. <laughs> Um, but it was worth it because in the time I was here, I got to love deeply. But as I left, this wonderful thing, supposedly wonderful thing called social media, had developed, right? Kind of on the end of while we were in our time here. And I thought it was going to be so awesome to be able to stay in contact with people while we were gone. But what I found out was all I got to do was watch everything I couldn't be a part of. I was watching myself get replaced. I was watching people take ministry that we had loved so much. I was watching people have new friends and do all the things that I had done. And I had to make a choice that I could either get off social media and stop watching, which is what I had to do, by the way, or I could wallow in the sadness of woe is me. Because at that point, I wasn't in the middle of anything meaningful. I was swamped with trying to learn a new culture, having absolutely no friends, not understanding a word that's going on around me, getting into a grocery store, having pigs hanging there and stuff happening everywhere and it smelled and I didn't know anything and I was so overwhelmed. If all I did was watch what was going on and seemingly amazing for everyone else, while I was in a really tough spot, my life would have been misery. So I had to make a choice 
that I could choose joy no matter what I faced in the midst of where I was. So the Lord helped me change my attitude and start celebrating what we had rather than what we didn't have. And it changed everything for me. I could celebrate that we had electricity that day because, by the way, that's a celebration where we lived. I could celebrate that when I went to the store, there was fresh baked bread, and when I walk in the door, it's the most incredible smell you've ever smelled. I could celebrate the most gorgeous sunsets, that when I drove up the hill to get off the exit to go to our house, there was this beautiful mountain backdrop, and as the sun would set, those mountains would turn black with this most amazing orange going down behind it. I started to see things completely differently. Suddenly, it didn't matter to me that everywhere I looked, people were begging and asking for things for me, and I felt used. Nothing, all of the things that could be troubling and difficult, I started to look beyond, and I started to celebrate the things that I had rather than what I didn't have. Suddenly, Christmas that was hot and sweaty, and I was trying to make homemade donuts because it was a goofy tradition we chose to do at Christmas time, which means they stick to the dumb countertop because it's 100 degrees while I'm trying to make these donuts. It doesn't feel like Christmas. I could feel really sorry for myself while you guys are sitting with snowy, really beautiful, what it's supposed to look like for Christmas backdrops, or I could celebrate that we get to have a pool party, you guys. Hey, kids, let's go to the pool and swim for Christmas. That's how we had to change things. I, had, I could either look at what it was, and celebrate it, or I could wish for what I didn't have. Joy is something that we choose to have. And so that became a really important part of my life. Hope burst forth within me and released a continual joy in my life. Does that mean I didn't have hard days? Absolutely not. It just meant I chose joy in the midst of those hard days, and that's what I did. The second thing that I learned was the next part of the verse. Con, uh, commune with God at all times. Uh, no, no, no. That one next to it. Burst forth, then you release and continue joy. Don't give up in time of trouble. I did not give up. Even in times of trouble, I learned so deeply over and over and over and over and over and over and over again what it means to persevere what it means to hold on if I was white-knuckled and I didn't think I could handle it one more day. I learned the importance of longevity and grit. I learned to keep holding on. I learned at the end of our time that it was worth it because I started to see some of the seeds that were, we had planted years before come to fruition. You know, it's hard not to get tired of waiting sometimes, and we can spend a lot of our time waiting. And I waited to watch some of these things happen, but I'll quickly show you a couple victories. Uh, the first picture I think that you're going to see, uh, well, you can show that picture just quickly. That's me walking down the road with, um, this is at Mama Agnes's house, which is a lady that I joined in ministry who um, feeds and reaches out and is an advocate for some vulnerable, needy children in her village. And these are me, this is me walking down her road with these kids. And some of these kids are the kids I'm going to talk about. They were little babies when I got there. This is Mama Agnes. And the girl that's to the right of Mama Agnes is Stella, the cute little girl with that little smile and that purple shirt. She was 12 years old the first time I met her in 2009, and she had a rough, rough, rough go of things. And I walked through some hard days, lots of sleepovers at my house, lots of crying, lots of feeling neglected and left because she was. And she stayed with Mama Agnes and lived at her house. And on the right-hand side is a picture of her with her diploma at our Bible college 
when she graduated that day, and she's an amazing pastor and one of the most anointed preachers I've ever heard. Um, I had to stay. I had to push through some really hard nights when it seemed like I didn't have answers for her. You know, why, is, why did your mom leave you? Why did your dad do this? Why did these things happen? I don't know. I didn't have good answers. There weren't good answers, but I just loved her and kept walking her through. And if you just hold on still, the Lord has an awesome, incredible plan for you. And she's walking out that plan right now. I can't tell you what kind of victory that day was to get to watch her do that. I walk with students who sacrificed a lot. This little girl right here is also at, Ma at uh, Mama Agnes's house. You guys may remember, those of you who have been here for a long time, Grace told a story about a little girl named Montepelo when we came back on furlough one year. And um, she about ripped Grace's heart out because um, she was Grace's little gal. She wasn't much older, I think, or much younger than Grace. I think she's only two years younger than Grace. But she needed love, and she grabbed a hold of me and Grace. And Grace, every time she was there, she would love on this little girl. She didn't have a mom or a dad. She had been orphaned. Her mom had passed away of HIV AIDS, and she had only brothers and an uncle and a granny who didn't care. And um, we walked with this little girl and loved on her the best that we could. And then um, because her uncle couldn't really take care of her, he ended, ended up sending her over to a family member, and we never saw her again. She was a ways away, and it absolutely ripped Grace's heart out because she loved on this little girl, didn't know where she was, and all of a sudden she was gone. And Mama Agnes's answer was that she was pretty sure that her uncle had sold her. And the reason why she said that is because there's a bride price in South Africa. They still do something called labola when you get married. And so with children, if there's no mom around, they have to pay the family to receive the daughter, if that makes sense. So they allowed this girl to pay her bride price, and she went to stay with a different family member. And it was a really hard sacrifice to realize that we, you know, sometimes you pour yourself into somebody and it doesn't work out the way you want it to. You think, if I love them with all of my heart, everything's going to be fine, and we gave everything, and then we lost that little girl. And it was hard. We cried a lot of tears over Montepelo. And uh, about two years ago, Montepelo came back in my life. That's her on the right-hand side. Um, she got a hold of Mama Agnes's number somehow and came and found her and told us the rest of her story. And there was a little girl in her class, found out that she wasn't eating, wasn't being taken care of, and her, she started bringing her lunch to school and helping her, and she talked her mom into taking her into her home, and her mom ended up adopting her and took care of her. So while she was gone, the Lord was taking care of her. And I remember talking to Mama Agnes because I didn't handle this situation really well, to be honest. I... Uh, I couldn't understand. I asked God a lot of questions. And the Lord assured me, you just got to trust me. You do your best with what's in front of you, and I will take care of the rest. And so what we thought was a terrible thing, the Lord was rescuing her from a spot where she was. And he took care of Montepelo, and um, he brought her back and let us see the victory that she is. She's going to school right now on a full bursary at a university, and she's becoming a social worker because she wants to take care of little girls like herself. Um, I had the privilege of spending quite a bit of time with her, and it was an incredible thing to see that the Lord takes. Sometimes it's not us. <laughs> it's just the Lord. It's never really us, but sometimes we don't get to see what he's doing. Um, and then the last person, I can't go through all these. This is a girl that was my physiotherapist. And um, she went from my physiotherapist to my friend. She walked me through my leg tragedy, those of you who know my leg tragedy. 
Um, I went to physiotherapy for her. She helped me with my leg. And then she became my friend. And then eventually she became my partner in ministry. When she would ask me, I would go there and I'd apologize because I was covered in red dirt all over my feet and stuff. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I came from the village. I smelled like smoke. I was covered in dirt and sweaty. And she's like, where have you been? So I would tell her about Mama Agnes and the kids. So she said, I want to come with you sometime. And I had a lot of people tell me that. No one really ever did. But Renee did. And she came, started coming with me. And this is a little girl who had cerebral palsy. And she got her a walker and helped her learn how to walk and did physiotherapy for her and other kids for free. And Renee is now um, helping at Mama Agnes's house while I'm gone. And so it takes longevity. It takes staying. It takes pushing through really hard stuff um, to be able to see the victory on the other side. So if you're in the middle of the tough spot and you don't feel like you've seen very much victory, I just want to encourage you to hold on. Because in the end, you have no idea how close you are to victory. Satan will keep pushing harder, fighting harder, pushing harder, fighting harder to stop you. And victory could be right there. Don't give up. This is Machaka. Oh, this is a student that we walked with who was a very, very close friend of mine. Started student, became my friend. She became a colleague, worked with us at the Bible College as a receptionist. And eventually she became our boss. <laughs> she is the principal's wife at the Bible College now. And um, this next picture, uh, I used to love having the students to my home. This is on the back porch on the one side. Uh, Grace and I are giving pedicures and washing the feet of two of the students that were in the previous picture. One is our receptionist now, and then Machaka is the principal's wife and also the um, academic dean. But we're washing their feet and giving them pedicures. It was our favorite thing. The picture on the right was my farewell, and Machaka told me there was nothing that she could do to love and honor me more than do what I had done for her. So they took turns washing my feet and giving me a pedicure. If we just keep pushing, we never give up, we keep going on, the Lord does incredible things. The last part of that verse says, um, don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Take constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. Mama Agnes is the absolute epitome of doing that. I learned by serving alongside her that she takes the word constant is very interesting because that means you never stop taking interest in people who have need. Mama Agnes never stops taking interest in those. Her life is literally serving people who need something else. And so I watched her. I got frustrated with her at times because I would give her stuff and I would go to her house and it was gone. I'm like, Mama, where's that thing I gave you? Well, so-and-so came by, you know, she needed it, so I gave it to her. I'm like, Mama, I gave that to you. I didn't give that to her. And she's like, Amy, don't you know if your hands are shaped like a funnel, then Jesus always pours stuff on you. But it goes through your hands and pours out to someone else. You only get to enjoy it for a short time, and then he passes it on to someone else. Oh, my goodness, if I could be more like Mama Agnes. The most humble, servant, generous, gave it all, courageously followed Jesus she never stopped relentlessly chasing after other people. She took interest in needs of other people. That's her fire that she cooks over uh, for 60 to 80 kids every day uh, to feed them because she takes interest in the needs of others. She's a perfect example. The Lord taught me the importance of caring for the people around me. She would say, Amy, just look at the people next to you and notice them. 
Their eyes will tell you what they need. I don't even have to ask them. Their eyes will tell me. And then I just ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to do to give this person? And then he tells me. Oh, my goodness. If we all could live that way where we literally walked around the streets looking at the eyes of people around us and asking the Holy Spirit what their need is, this wouldn't be a very needy place. She taught me that we fish where the fish are. We were able to help build her a home with the help of a a Chi Alpha team that came a few times. Multiple hands came and helped build this home for her. And when she was done with that house, it wasn't quite done yet, basically, and it wasn't ready to live in. And so... um, Actually, this is when we built a, I need to go back. We built a playground on property that at one point we hoped to build a house on. And we didn't have time to do anything but a jungle gym the first year. And so we were leaving this property that's down the street. When I was walking with those little kids, we were walking to this property. And um, we had this jungle gym she loved. And all the people in the neighborhood were coming every day. They were so excited. And so she asked us if we could go and move these pieces of tin that were in this pile of rats and infested with things that was so gross and she said can you please move this and build me this little shack on the last day and we were like mama why and she said well I need to go I need I want to stay at where that playground is because we have to fish where the fish are and again humbled again by her incredible grace um, because she was taught me something really important. You know, maybe you're in a spot where you don't want to be but you're where Jesus wants you to be because you got to be where the fish are. You can't fish if there's nobody there to catch. And so she started staying where the fish were because that's where everybody was gathering. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that wherever God has you, if you take interest in those who are around you, he's put you in that fishing pond for a reason. And it's not to sit there and watch the fish. It's to start scooping them out and helping them where they are. The last thing I learned is that if you welcome people into your home, you have an opportunity to bless them and to encourage them and what God's calling them to do. And so we welcomed a lot of teams, and one of them was your team. There they are. 2010. Some of you will recognize your faces in there. You were one of the teams that we got to have in our home, that we got to enjoy. Um, I spent a lot of my days uh, cooking There are some days I'm like, I literally should have just been a chef because I'm an English teacher and I don't spend a lot of days doing English. (laughs) I do spend a lot of time cooking and taking care of people. Um, But it's what God gifted me with and something that I thought was a useless gift became the important thing I needed to do because we couldn't have a team if somebody wasn't going to cook for them. I couldn't have somebody in my home and not cook them nice food and take care of them. And so that was something that I discovered and learned while I was here in Bedford. The Lord helped me to craft that gift and have a lot of people in my home do a lot of cooking and get comfortable in that gift, did a lot of catering and different things in the church, and then eventually brought me to South Africa and let me use it for real. So I had friends and colleagues and teams and students and interns, and I learned that What I could do is build relationship through my home and by serving people, and through that relationship, I had influence in people's lives. So as I had relationship, I had influence. And then lastly, we can't forget about the importance of communion and taking time with the Lord. By communion, I don't mean this communion right here. I mean time spent with the Lord. Um, In my quiet time with the Lord, he started stirring me On February 14th of last year, I read this verse right here. This is from the Passion Version, which is a Bible that was given to me by a friend. 
And it says, with their, which was speaking about Paul and Barnabas here, with their, <clears throat> with their mission complete, they returned to the church where they had originally been sent out as missionaries. For it was in Antioch where they had been handed over to God's powerful grace. God spoke clearly to me multiple, multiple times. But when I read that, I journaled that day and said, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And I wasn't, I was scared to think about what that meant. But multiple times throughout the next several months, he spoke to me. I wrote those down in a journal. And when we were making the decision about whether we were coming back to the States or not, the Lord asked me to write things down in sort of a timeline. I went through and I, I wrote it all down. And there were multiple things that he spoke to me. Um, one of the verses that he shared with me was, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. When I thought it was sad, the Lord taught me that I should celebrate. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. He started calling us back here, and I had to believe that he will surely do it. The last Sunday we attended, we made the choice to come here. The Lord had confirmed it multiple, multiple times when I laid my face on that carpet and sang, you can have it all. That was when I said, all right, Lord, you can have every single thing that I'm giving up that I've learned to love about South Africa. My calling, what I felt like the Lord gave me to do, to come back. And on the last Sunday that we, we traveled back, we went out and spoke at churches uh, many Sundays and, and preached, and we chose to spend our last Sunday at that church that we went the very first time where I saw that tree. It was a full circle moment for me because I got to see, it's like almost a slideshow while I was standing in worship and worshiping. It was such an emotional time for me, but it was like a slideshow. The Lord was showing me the different people that we had touched and the things that we had done. And he was saying it was worth it. It was worth the sacrifice of being, because it wasn't always easy to be on that side, by the way. It was just where he had called me, so that's where I wanted to be. And he said, you're going to do the same thing. You're just going to do it someplace else. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be just as awesome. It's going to be just as beautiful. If you will plant yourself and dig those deeps, really deep, roots really deep one more time, allow yourself the opportunity to get hurt one more time. Because by the way, I told you how hard, how hard it hurt to leave Bedford the first time. <laughs> I wanted to protect myself and not fall in love with it one more time because I didn't want to hurt like that if he ever asked me to leave again. But he just encouraged me, you're following my call, you're obeying me. It doesn't matter where you are, it's not your title or what it is, you're just serving me. Will you go? And I said, yeah, one more time. I got the privilege to stand underneath that tree. We're standing with the pastor and his new wife. Um, his previous wife had passed away, and this was her, I think maybe her first Sunday as his wife in the church, but anyways, maybe second Sunday. So it was kind of a really cool new beginning for them as well. And um, they were doing a building project. There's um, bricks and sand and stuff all around it, and he assured me, he said, oh, Amy, we won't cut down your tree. The next time you come to visit, your tree will still be standing waiting for you. Um, but I'm not sure where you are. You're probably thinking, well, hopefully the Lord's not calling me into ministry, and hopefully he's not moving me around different places. And, um, and maybe he is. I hope he is calling some of you. 
into something deeper and something more challenging and maybe even some full-time ministry. But even if he's not, there's, these are all really valid questions for you. Are you choosing joy in your circumstances? Are you refusing to give up even in the moments of trouble? Are you holding on, white-knuckling, pushing through, using grit, using perseverance to push through to see what beautiful thing is waiting for you on the other side? I'm not talking about a couple days. That was years in the making. Montepelo left when she was seven, and I didn't see her again until she was 17. That was a lot of years of waiting to see something beautiful come on the other side. Will you commune with him in all times, the troubled times and the good times? You know, we tend to relax when things are good. We're like, everything's okay. We forget about Jesus for a little bit because everything's fine. We're doing everything just fine on our own. And then suddenly we face the next trial and we're thinking, what in the world? I thought everything was fine, and the Lord's like, well, you weren't really chilling with me very much, and now we're going to walk through a trial again together. It's in those hard times that he grows and matures us the most, but hold on to him and commune with him and enjoy the time with him, the relationship with him on the good times too. Are you taking interest in the needs, continually taking interest in the needs of God's beloved people and helping them? There's needy people all around us physically, emotionally, financially. There are a lot of people who just want to know that someone cares. You know, in African culture, you greet people everywhere you go. Before you pump gas, before you get something in the grocery store, and I'm confusing people everywhere I go because it's so deeply inside of me. I cannot just say, where are the bananas, without saying, hi, how are you today? And then they just stand there and stare at me like, are you for real? Like, are you really asking me this? And then they just don't, half the time they don't answer. And I just smile. I'm like, okay, anyways, well, then where's the bananas? Um, but then there's times where I'm saying that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to quit practicing this because there's some people who want someone to know that I want to know how you're doing today. And they actually tell me how they're really doing that day. And it's a wonderful opportunity to let somebody know you care. Are you continually taking interest in the needs of people around you and then helping them? Are you eagerly going to welcome guests into your home and blessing them with what you have and sharing it? It's the same task, same demand. For me, it's a different place and a different people, but God has you in a really specific place with a really specific group of people that he's asking you to influence and he's asking you to have opportunity to influence them. Remain faithful, lay down your life in absolute surrender, realizing it's a privilege to, sh to serve this one true holy God. It's been an incredible adventure and journey to this spot and I cannot wait to see what God has in the future for us. Here together, one of the verses that I read that the Lord gave to me, or at the end of that verse, actually, um, the one where he was calling in Acts, he was calling us here, he says that they stayed for a long time. And I just saw the other day when I was reading that again, preparing for this, I thought, you know what? What a blessing it is for me. That's so comforting. <laughs> I do not want to move again, by the way. <laughs> Moving across the world is no small feat. Um, but he assured me, you're here for a long time. 
And what a blessing that is to realize that God takes you someplace and lets you leave, you leave you there for a little while. And so we feel like we are here, and we're going to dig our roots deep. And we're going to love people with everything of us, and we're going to continually choose joy, and we're going to always be looking for those that need help and really be looking to see what we can do. But we don't want to do that alone. I really, really pray that you guys will be walking and doing the same thing in the place where you are, continually influencing. I'm going to ask Chris to come and close us in a word of prayer, but I just really want to encourage you that um, no matter where you are, that Romans 12 verse is supposed to speak just as clearly to you as it has, has to me through the years, and he's asking you, you know, that we have one life, and what are you going to spend it on? What are you going to do with it? Thanks, babe. Um, I know what time it is. Can we all just relax for a minute? If you need to go, I want you to be free to go. But Amy mentioned three things. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come back up. Because I think in this moment, I want to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than I am to a clock. If you need to go, please be free to go. But I want to, I want to take a moment this morning. Amy mentioned three things. One is continue in joy throughout the course of our ministry, whether it was Avon, Ohio, whether it was Bedford, Indiana, whether it was in Rustenburg, South Africa, or whether it was back in Bedford, Indiana, we need to choose joy. Second thing is don't give up. We need to be tenacious. And so uh, we need to choose wherever we are. Lord, I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to not quit. I'm going to stay. And then the final thing is, is to continue and commune in His presence. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you've come with, but maybe you need to choose joy this morning. Circumstances are not fantastic, and you need to choose joy. Maybe you're here this morning, and you need to keep going. You need to white-knuckle it, as I like to say. You need to hang on. You need to dig deep. You need to refuse to quit. Maybe you're here this morning, and you need to commune with the Lord. You need to take some time to be with Him. We don't need to take a long time, but Amy's talked about three things, and I want to give us a moment to respond to those three things. See, that's that's been the thing, and Amy said it. She's tried to paint a picture for you this morning. That's been our lives. Choose joy, dig deep, don't quit, and commune with the Lord, no matter where we've been. And that's what we want to define our time here. We believe the Lord has us here for a while. Dear Lord, I don't want to go anywhere. We want to choose joy. We want to hang on. We want to commune with the Lord. If you're here this morning, would you bow your heads with me? And I want to pray this morning, but I'd like to pray with some intelligence. So if you're here this morning and you'd say to me, Pastor Chris, I need to choose joy this morning. They were talking to me. I'm in the middle of something, or maybe I'm not in the middle of something, and I just need to choose joy. If that's you, in a moment, I'm going to ask people to raise their hands. If that's you, raise your hand, and I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes we've just got to choose it. Are you here this morning and maybe you know you need to not quit? You're tempted to quit this morning. There are many moments where I said, Lord, I don't want to be wherever it is that I was. But you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is prompting you to not quit. I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over this room, there's hands. The final thing is to commune with God. Maybe it's been a while since you just spent some time with Him. 
and the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, I want you just to be with me because that's the secret to all. You're here. That's you. Would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Hands up all over this room. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and I'm going to pray. And um, when I'm done praying, we can all stand right now. When I'm done praying, you're free to go. But if you raised your hand, I would encourage you to take a moment with Jesus. You can do that at your seat. But there's something about getting out from where you are, an exercise of my will, and coming down and finding a place of prayer. We're not going to ask you what's going on. We're not going to bother you. Some people may come and lay their hands on you and pray for you. If you want to share, you're welcome to share. But if you raised your hand this morning, maybe if you didn't, you know you need to be up here or there's something else going on and you just want to come pray for a moment. When I'm done praying, I would invite you to come and, and find some time to be with Jesus. If you don't need to be here, then you're free to go. I would ask you to be quiet while you're in the sanctuary so that those that are doing business with Jesus can do that well. And I, and I would encourage you to be blessed as you go this week. But I'm going to pray. And then if you raised your hand, and if you would be so brave, I would encourage you to find a place to spend a little bit of time with Jesus and allow him to bring you joy, allow him to give you the ability to dig deep and allow uh, yourself some time to commune with him. Father, Lord, I, I, we struggle. I know Amy did this week. I know I did last week to share the totality of our lives with these people. And, and I know there's no way we could on a Sunday morning. But Lord, we have had to over and over and over again choose joy. We had to continue in joy by choice. Or there are some this morning that have raised their hands that have said, Father, I need your help. Father, I pray that you would let joy rise as they choose you. Father, we all need to take moments to dig in. And yes, digging in hurts because you've uprooted Amy and I on multiple occasions. But Lord, in the digging, in the hanging on, in the holding on is where we really find you. It's where we really find the best things. So Father, I pray that you would help us as we all have to raise our hands at some point in time and say, Father, I'm going to choose to dig deeper into you no matter what it may cost me. Father, there are those of us who from time to time, for whatever reason, Lord, get distracted, get pulled away. But Lord, we need to commune with you. We need to spend time with you. Father, there are some this morning that have raised their hands have said, I need to spend more time with you. Father, over the next few moments, will you bring joy? Will you strengthen for digging? Lord, and will you meet those that need to meet with you? Father, as we all eventually leave this place, will you go with us? But Father, over the next few moments, will you do what only you can do? As the praise team begins to sing, I would invite you to find a space of prayer. And if, and if you're so bold, if you would come forward, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you and with you.